Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Isn't it frustrating to manage multiple vendors for things like HR, consulting, payroll processing, benefits, administration, workers' comp insurance? Well, with Zenium, you can have all of this under one roof, one partner for everything. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. All right, today's episode features Jill Griffin. Jill is a career strategist and executive coach. And in talking with Jill leading up to this podcast, she had suggested talking about this topic of invisible disability. Well, what's an invisible disability? It could be a brain injury that you just aren't aware that somebody has one. It could be irritable bowel syndrome. It could be chronic back problems. The list goes on. But many people, an estimated 20% of the US population, is dealing with an invisible disability and they may or may not be disclosing it. So we tackle this topic because to truly have an inclusive workplace, we need to understand what people are going through and we need to figure out if they need accommodations, if they need something to feel part of the workplace culture. As we keep talking about inclusivity, we need to continue understanding groups like this who might be dealing with something or they come from a different background. So I hope you really enjoyed this discussion. I know I did. Jill was fantastic. Make sure to connect with Jill on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So make sure to connect with me there. Enjoy today's episode. And next week is episode number 350. It's crazy to even think about. But enjoy today's episode. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Jill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brandon. Good to be here. We're going to talk about a topic that I had never really heard before, um, and you brought it to my attention. Invisible disability. What What is that? Um, an invisible disability, also known as a non-apparent disability, um, everybody has a different level of comfort with what they'd like to call it, is basically something that is non-apparent, that you can't visibly see that there is something that is that someone has a disability, right? That it's the idea that most people assume if you look a certain way, you're able-bodied, or if you don't, you're not able-bodied. So invisible just means that there's something going on, but you just may not see it. And it becomes challenging because if you are the person with the invisible disability, it means that you have to constantly advocate for yourself in a way that, you know, we're not saying one set of disability or invisible disability is easier than the other, but it just means that you have to constantly advocate for yourself in a way that you have to get comfortable with. Well, I can imagine the, where the issue comes up is we assume that somebody's able-bodied because they look like they're able-bodied. And I'm sure that puts a lot of stress and anxiety on the people who have these invisible disabilities, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can Google around for a list, but it's anything from, you know, I have a vestibular disorder from a traumatic brain injury. So it's anything from developmental disability. It can be fibromyalgia. It could be MS. It could be ADHD, uh, asthma. I mean, anything, again, there's a very long list that the American Disabilities Act has put out as suggested, and it's obviously growing regularly as people are putting 
putting more. There's even been talk of the impact of long COVID and that the various impacts of having long-term effects of COVID. You know, there's been recent articles by the CDC saying that something like 7 million people on the low end and up to 20 million people will have long COVID, which will, of course, be not apparent to the eye. Right. I wonder, if do I qualify as an invisible disability? I have a bulge disc in my back and I'm wearing a back brace right now. So that, that part's visible, but you know, with most people walking around, I'm like, that that would, yeah. But it means, it also just means that there may be additional accommodations that you might need in in the workplace in order to uh, be able to perform your job. And an invisible disability, I think the official definition is that anything that gets in your way Hmm. of the regular, or I think they use the word normal ability to perform your duties or your quality of life. Yeah. So anybody who's in any kind of chronic pain could fall under an invisible disability. Yeah. You'd mentioned that you had a traumatic brain injury. You mind sharing what happened there and how it's impacted your work? Yeah. So I went to Australia on a solo trip years ago and I fell while I was hiking. I I did like a, once I got to Australia, I hooked up with a local hiking guy, hiking group and went with them. And it's one of the things, you know, with head injuries, especially they're insidious. So when you first have the impact, I know other people have spoken about this and we've heard recently about some tragic deaths because of this too, is that you might think you're okay. So you may not advocate for yourself that you should go to the hospital. You're like, oh, I'm okay. It's just, I just banged my head a little bit. And of course we don't actually know. And there's not always something that can be done for it. But where my particular accident happened, I was far enough into the outback that before I left to go to Australia, I bought supplemental insurance um, in case of any accidents. And I remember, and again, remember, I'm not thinking clearly, but I remember seeing that to get medevaced out was 250,000 US dollars, which doesn't go to my medical treatment. It just goes to the kind soul who would come in to pick me up and bring me to the hospital. So in that moment, I was like, I can't afford that. So no. And we don't know what we don't know. So I don't spend much time in the, what if it was different? Like that was the decision that was made. That's what happened. That's how it played out. A couple of days later, I got back into Sydney and was in the hotel. And I was really just there for like a day or so in order to then fly back to the States. And I just remember showing up at the hotel and having another guest in the lobby say, I think this woman needs medical attention. Oh my God. And I didn't, I was like, who, 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 who needs it? Like not realizing how I was representing on top of being physically dirty because I was, you know, I was in mud and I had fallen and depending on the kind of hiking you're doing, it's not like I had a lot of extra clothes with me. So the clothes that I fell in that were ripped and muddy were the clothes that I still had on. There was no way of washing those clothes. Right. So I show back up in a hotel looking like that. And you can imagine what those poor people must've thought (laughs) of me. And same thing. I remember um, like a general manager or concierge or someone coming over to me saying, um, can we get you medical attention? And I was like, was there something physically going? Like, was it apparent? Or is- Other than cuts and bruises and, yeah. and like mud and blood. And I okay. think just being disoriented. disoriented so yeah. one of the things that I noticed that, you know, you may not notice is I lose vocabulary a lot. Like I know what I want to mm. say, but I can't always say it. So I end up doing a lot of fillers like, um, so, uh, it, it, like, but I know what I right. want to say. So I think just the way I was representing someone then also seeing the mud and the cuts and the, you know, was like, maybe we should check, which is a good thing. Like, I'm so glad that person was on either their business trip or their holiday and was, you know, aware enough to say, I think the 
fellow human next to me not, might not be okay. Point being is I said, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm going home to the States tomorrow. I'll, I'll get it checked out there. And then spent the flight, it's like 17 hours to LA and then another six hours to New York. So that's the way it played out. Wow. <laughs> Well, and I can imagine like with the with the head injury and then you hop on a plane pressure, I, I could imagine that wasn't good for you. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because people have said that before where, you know, that moment where you're taking off yeah. and the flight is leveling yeah. out and you feel that little bit of like, ooh, <laughs> so that is my everyday life. Oh. That's what I live in wow. every day. So when I'm on a plane, I'm like, baby, I'm home. This is my yeah. world. <laughs> this, is my, you know, this is what what my new reality is like. And no, I didn't always have this attitude, but what are you going to do? Right. Like I could sit there and live in, wow, wow, look at what happened Misery. to me or be like, okay, this is what happened. Right. So how are we going to approach life now? Was there a big adjustment period for you? Well, there still is an adjustment period, right? So in the beginning, yeah, it, again, brain injuries and at least the way mine showed up was insidious where what was happening at first wasn't necessarily what was happening in time. So anything from constant movement, it's kind of like people come reverse negative where you end up being on the other side on the ceiling. So I can't see things. It's like a positional vertigo. I can't always see things the way they actually are, which means, you know, you tend to lose your motor skills because you don't know which way is up and which way is down. From a, an eye standpoint, working at a computer all day or a screen and just the simple vibration of a computer screen where sometimes it's pixelated, it's moving, can be enough to send oh, me into gosh. a, um, I call it an attack, but like a vestibular right. episode. Loud noises, my eyes will jump and flutter from the impact. So even something as, um, you know, I worked with an individual who would constantly make points by pounding on the conference room table and that jarring me, like to then stand up, I would kind of fall over. So what happened in the early days is I think there was a little bit of like reputational issue where people thought I was drinking on the job or they thought that I was drugging. I can imagine people are making up stories about, if they don't know what your situation is, they would start making up stories. They don't know. Yeah. And again, you know, the reason why, you know, you and I connected around workplace was it really comes down to this, to disclose or not disclose when you have a non-apparent or invisible disability is a personal choice. I chose not to disclose because the job that I was in immediately following the brain injury, I was terminated for because there were things that I was told that because I couldn't do certain things, I wasn't being a team player and which is illegal, uh, just so we're clear, <laughs> you know, things like it wasn't in the job requirement upon hiring, but once there, there were additional things like, oh, we're going to go out regularly and take clients out. And it might mean we take clients out on the yacht, mm -hmm. the president's mm -hmm. yacht. I can't go on a boat. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I can't join in, but that wasn't made clear in the job requirements. And even so, based on the American Disabilities Act, you have to perform and provide reasonable accommodation. So it might mean that I don't join you tonight on the boat, but I'm not fired because of it. Right. Exactly. It just means like, okay, good. I'm not going to, you know, you're going to still do that thing. That's fine but it doesn't become an issue. And right. that's basically, I mean, again, we're, we're going back 20 years ago. I don't believe that that would have happened today. I think that there is more understanding, even though the laws were on the books then, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. So because of that coming back around in, in subsequent jobs, you know, I'm in a position now, if I don't have a job, I don't have employer-sponsored healthcare. And if I don't have employer-sponsored healthcare, I can't heal from my brain injury. So by me telling you that I have a disability, 
you're going to fire me again. That's what my orientation was because I already had that experience. So the only container that I'm aware of still to this day for me to disclose that I have a disability is upon hiring. But think about that other job. I didn't have the disability when I was hired. I got the disability on the job. There's no container Mm -hmm. for me as an employee to come forward and now if I wanted to disclose, to disclose. So many people that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to hundreds of people around different kinds, sometimes it's vestibular and sometimes it's many other invisible disabilities. Also the same thing where when you're going through the employment process, that button that says, do you have a disability? Like we kind of see it as a big neon flashing rejection button. Like, yeah, you're worried about getting filtered out of that. You're out, man. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're totally out. And and again, there is no proof. There's only circumstantial evidence that that is what's happened because the employer thinks it's going to be harder. And I uh, again, I can only speak from my own individual experience that my accommodations would be things like, you know, occasionally, no, I can't go out to the after event because loud noises, being yep. in lighting, that's really tough, loud noises. Um, I worked in an industry that would go to Las Vegas every January for the CES, the Consumer Electronics oh. Show. And that is like a vestibular <laughs> nightmare, bet. right? So I would go, yeah. but then I would check out as fast oh. as possible because being in the casinos and all of that was just too much. And, you know, over the years, there were people I disclosed to as allies, you know, bosses, colleagues, and peers just saying to them like, hey, listen, if we go in there, I might get a little dizzy. Is it okay if I grab your bicep? And, you know, once I would tell people individually, I mean, there are angels everywhere. People are like, oh my God, of course, absolutely grab on and, and I'll make sure. And then people look out for you. But the other things that I might've needed or not might've that I did need is um, even being in a high trafficked area of the office, the constant movement past my eye is enough to, when I stand up, I can lose my vestibular capacity and fall over. Um, Like I mentioned, the computer screen, loud noises. I mean, I worked in media, which is kind of hilarious to me when I think about how much image and video-based and all of that. And again, I love what I did, but it just made the, again, because there there was nothing in an employee handbook, there was nothing that stated invisible disability. I didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to handle it. And like I said, my previous evidence was disclosure means being fired. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to disclose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think in this world, maybe, yeah, 20 years ago, you're worried about getting fired, maybe never getting hired in the first place. But now I think we, I think a lot of employers are really focused on equity diversity, inclusion. And and this is an inclusive part. Like how do you create an inclusive environment for people who might have these invisible disabilities? I think employers would be more open to accommodating than ever before. Do you agree with that? Yeah. There's something less though than 10% of the inclusion dollars go against disability. So we know that we have racism, we have ageism, we have sexism. They are real, they are structures. And if we all agreed on how to fix them, we would have fixed them. But ableism Mm -hmm. is often not discussed as part of the isms that are keeping people in positions and actions and attitudes that really create trying 
scenarios, right? So, you know, there's something like 25% of the U.S. population is visibly disabled. And then the stats on a non-apparent are invisible. It varies because, again, you would never put me in that stat because it's not disclosed. But they're estimating that it is about 20% of the U.S. pop wow. is non-apparent. Wait, so when you add those two together, the, the, the visible versus invisible, that's a pretty large portion of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, where, you know, we're in this time, I call it the great reassessment. Some people call it the great resignation, (laughs) but we're in this time in which like companies are looking for workers that are completely abled, but because of the accommodations, and yes, some of us are working from home, but as more and more are returning to work, the accommodations aren't there. And it just becomes really hard, but you have this entire set of people, meaning from an intellectual development, I'm totally able to right. work. I just need when the fluorescent lighting over my workstation is flickering and I'm going to have a seizure, I just kind of need you to fix it now <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and not like, not like when you can. And that was a lot of what was happening a lot is like there was no urgency. And again, because you have to constantly advocate for yourself, you start to feel, and again, I I can't speak for others. I can only speak for myself and the people that I've spoken with. At a certain time, you start to feel like you're a burden where how many times do I have to just say like, it's really important that we don't have flickering lights over the workstation all days or that my computer screen has like a moray effect or a drag on it because it's old. Just keep it really easy and keep it extra. I mean, what is it, like 50 bucks to buy a, a laptop screen, you know, a screen for your laptop to connect? Like it's not that big of a deal to have like a supply closet, you know? And again, I can't speak for super small organizations. Um, that's not my expertise. My expertise is obviously larger organizations, but there's really simple ways that we can make this much more accessible for more people and not just be assuming that everybody is able-bodied. Right. Well, it's it's exhausting to feel like you're a burden nonstop. It's probably going to be on your mind all the time. And I'm wondering if there, you know, for those who have an invisible disability, how do you bring this up and have a conversation with, I don't know if it's a manager or when you're, when you're being hired, if you uh, had an invisible disability by the time you're being hired, how you can even bring this up to where you're comfortable. You don't know what the other person's reaction is going to be. So I, I imagine you've thought through all these things and I'm wondering if you have some tips for people on this. So I can't speak for anybody else because, again, if I was to be um, hired with an organization, I don't know that I would disclose again. Mm, Um, Again, there are pluses and minuses to disclosing. So if I don't have an episode, I don't have to disclose and I don't have to let you know that there's a problem and I don't have to be othered. I don't have to be labeled and I don't have to be noticed as a burden. But by not disclosing, there's the challenge where I don't create a capacity for you to help me. And I don't, we don't build that mutual loyalty and trust that I can trust that you might actually want to help me. So again, I can't speak for others. I can only speak for myself, but I think where we could have some resolution is that we're in a talent crunch. Being able to change your ways as a company creates a level of loyalty. And it also creates like, we've seen the data that People claim that when they are working side by side, people with visible and non-apparent disabilities, they feel better about the social construct of the company that they work on. So it creates this understanding of like, I work for a company that like is really diverse and takes care of people. So even the able-bodied people feel better about themselves. There's a ton of data on that. You also have to think about when you 
enable someone who is invisible or visibly disabled, you're actually also changing the whole structure of however their family is set up, where now they're able to earn income. So there's less burden on the people around them that need to take care of them. You're also now hiring the caretakers, you're hiring the family, right? So if you think about it that way, if someone who traditionally has passed over for an opportunity to work now suddenly can work, they're able to be a contributing member within however their family unit looks like. And then you change the dynamics of a family. So there's such a positive impact to it. I think also, you know, as far as what employers can do or how they can approach things, I would say that, you know, one, don't assume that everybody is able to body. Two, there's an expression that not about me without me. And even within employee research groups, you don't get to decide what works without including people who are representative of that particular class of people and making sure that they have a say in it. Proactively doing a little bit of research, right? There's also, um, if HR departments get themselves trained, there are equally tax breaks for them mm. for training, for their training their people, as much as there are tax breaks. Like, hey, everyone, I'm a tax break. If you hire me, you get to claim it, right? So it's not going to cost you extra money. But that would require <laughs> them to disclose that they have a uh, disability, correct? Of, of course, it requires <laughs> to disclose. But again, if I work in a culture that has proactively said, right. this is our culture, maybe I would then disclose. But I've never seen, I mean, I've never even seen it mentioned in an employee handbook. Working for publicly traded companies, I have attended very much needed racism training, sexism training, understanding all of that training in which each year as an officer of the company, I had to sign documents saying that, you know, I attended these trainings and and take, you know, assessments to show that I've retained the knowledge. Never was there anything around disability or invisible disability mentioned. Wow. It seems like there's a heck of an opportunity for employers. And you said it earlier, there's a talent crunch right now. People are leaving companies to see if the grass is greener on the other side. And it's a trying time for employers right now as employees are moving around. And I think there's an opportunity for probably some, I don't know if it's employer branding opportunities on a, on a website, a careers page or something that says we welcome all people. And, and really believe it. So that way, if somebody with an invisible disability is thinking about, hey, I might apply for a, a job here and maybe even would disclose that they have a disability. Without that, I don't, I don't know. I, to your point, I don't know if people would disclose it. Yeah. So I really think it's a top-down, bottoms-up approach, right? We need to educate yes. our leaders because they don't even know. I mean, I even think about their going through this experience myself and really thinking about the times in my life where there may have been other people around me that I assumed were able-bodied and they weren't, right? Just because I have a disability doesn't mean that I'm perfect, right? I might also assume that somebody else is able-bodied when they're not. I also think about the times where like there was a particular colleague who was in the bathroom a lot. And I remember a senior leader always saying like, this guy is always in the bathroom. Where is he? And just thinking about that now, I mean, my gosh, like maybe that's just the way his body worked, or maybe there was something going on in which he needed to go into the bathroom more frequently. But I think if there was top-down education and really easy to Google the list or get it from the American Disabilities Association, right, to get the list, suddenly there's awareness. And without awareness, awareness precedes change. So if we don't create awareness for it, how would anybody know? Like just how you didn't even know of this until, you know, you and I started talking. Yeah. So- I do think it's a top-down approach, but it also that is bottom-up, meaning if you create the container for me to feel that I can yes. disclose, 
Now I'm responsible. I don't need anyone to clean up for me, but if I'm able to be in an environment where my disclosure doesn't result in my firing, then of course I would say, Hey, this is what I need. And by the way, can I just not sit near the elevator in a high traffic area? Cause the content movement isn't good for my head. By the way, we were talking about accommodations earlier and it seemed like, like a very simple solution would be to allow people with invisible disabilities to work from home. Yeah. Um, and in my informal research, and I've talked to a lot of other disabilities advocates, again, it's hard to get the data, but other disabilities advocates have said to me that they have seen up to 35% of people with disabilities choose to work for themselves. Oh, interesting. Because prior to 2020 and COVID, there wasn't the opportunity to work from home. It was rare. So perhaps now that can also be a way of employers, they There's a lot of great talent out there that maybe there are accommodations. Again, I don't know the legal side of that, but maybe there are accommodations that can be made that certain employees can permanently work from home based on disabilities that they have. I mean, it seemed to me, it seems like the duh factor. Like, why wouldn't you do that? We've all proven that we can work from home very productively as we have all done so over the last two years. So why not continue based on the needs of the company? Yeah. So you said, I mean, it's really a top down approach with this and in terms of I think it's both and a bottom in up. In a bottom right? up, so yeah. Once it's a top down approach, then it's a bottom up. Like I like the way you said it. It's the top down in the sense that we need to create the the safe space, the container, so to speak, and then then it could be bottom up from there. It's like okay, now I know that there's this place for me to live, and now I'm comfortable sharing. I know there's going to be accommodations. So I mean, if you could speak to leaders right now, they're leading organizations. What are some steps that they could take to make sure that they create that? that safe environment for people with invisible disabilities? Thank you for that question. So one, I would make sure that your leadership, depending on how you're structured, whether it falls within HR, whether it falls within your chief talent officer, wherever it falls within the best place of your company, I would make sure that they are educated on non-apparent and invisible disabilities. I would also make sure that you've updated your employee handbooks and making sure that you have language. You then need to educate your leadership and anybody who's managing people that they also understand because I, I get why you wouldn't know about this, right? But to your point earlier, if up to 20% of people in America have a non-apparent disability, they already work for you and they are potentially suffering right in front of you and are trying to figure it out. So you want to make sure of that. I also think that you need to change your language and your hiring process. So right now that disclosure button on the job application that says, are you disabled? As I mentioned before, it's like a big reject me button where you could put more human language. Again, scrub it past your attorneys. I get it. You need to look at the legal side of things, but you could also have a place that's more or copy that's more like, hey, We understand that a diverse culture is really what makes all of us stronger. And we want to support you. Tell us how we can support you. Something like that, I probably would have disclosed, right? It's just, it's in that nuance. It's also understanding like those of us that have the disability, I don't blame anyone, right? There's no training. There's no discussion. There's no container. It's nobody's fault. But if we could start having this conversation, and again, I took a risk because I work for myself now, so I can say whatever I want. I don't have to worry about someone firing me. I also think that when you're thinking about employee resource groups or or supporting employee resource groups, that you want to encourage that there is an invisible disability. Like, you know, I wrote an article both for Huffington Post and for Metro UK in the last like four months around invisible disability. And the amount of people and it's in the thousands, between social media, comments on the article, or you know, finding me through my website and emailing me, that 
basically said to me, thank you for giving me words that I didn't know I had. Like if I don't have the language, right? In my case, it took almost 10 years to be officially diagnosed with what I actually broke in my head. So before that, I didn't have the language to be able to say what the problem was. I just kind of had to suck it up. And there are many people with invisible disabilities and the same thing. If it's invisible, it might be kind of hard and squiggly to figure out what exactly it is. But giving people language so that they can then choose to self-advocate you know, is amazing. And again, I go back to the part about like my family forgets and they live with me. (laughs) Yes. Because you appear to be able-bodied. Right. I can show up very able-bodied on some days, but those that know me, you know, I've had some bosses, obviously my husband, friends, my mother will be like, your eyes, you're not okay right now. Why don't you go sit down? Yeah. And I'm like, can we turn off the ceiling fan? (laughs) Cause it's really messing with my head right now. Like, you just don't realize. No, I believe it. I mean, like based on even earlier when you we were talking about that leader who was like talking about the person in the bathroom all the time is like they didn't have the language. They, they're making up stories about what's going on. And if we can train our leaders and give them language to use or just get them to be more inclusive leaders, I mean, for the love of Pete. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, they don't know. So the leaders need to do better. They could do some of their own. If you're leading people, you can do some of your own education again. And that's the top down, bottoms up. And then if it's in a container, I don't think that particular leader, it ever crossed their mind about the guy in the bathroom that there was a problem. I think they were assuming there's lazy or something. The individual was like goofing off or being lazy versus actually having potentially a medical or an emotional issue where they could have been suffering with some level of chronic depression, which would also be considered an invisible disability. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jill, I appreciate you bringing uh, light to this subject. Uh, again, we've never talked about it on this podcast. So I appreciate that you're out there talking about it. And I'm hopefully going to spread the word even further. But you know, if people want to reach out to you, get in touch with you, follow your work, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can go to jillgriffincoaching.com and you can find me there. I'm also on Instagram at jillgriffinofficial. And I just want to thank you, Brandon, for creating a space to, again, we got to create more containers. And I thank you for creating a container for just creating awareness. Well, I've thankful for people like you coming on. I mean, we're trying to transform workplace cultures for the better. And without people like you spreading good word and and trying to make workplaces better, um, don't know that we would be changing workplaces the way we are. So I appreciate you for coming on and and sharing your knowledge. I love that because that's what I do. I mean, the bulk of my work today is I help organizations create cultures that allow their leaders to do the work that they need to do and maintain their well-being. I love it. My guest today has been Jill Griffin. Jill, thanks for being part of Transform Your Workplace. Thanks, Brandon. 